You're tuned in to CIOE 97.5 Community Radio. Thank you for joining us for Mental Health Let's Talk About It. I am Charlene Pickram, your host and owner of Pick Empowerment. I want to thank our worldwide listeners for tuning in as tonight's guest is, well, we have quite an introduction, so hold on to your pants. Dr. Joseph Sadek, who has a mental health clinic here in Dartmouth, he actually actually has a whole team. Um, he's internationally recognized as an ADHD expert the Associate Professor at Dow Department of Psychiatry. He's a diplomat of the American Board of Psychiatry and Neurology, fellow of the Royal College of Psychiatry and Surgeons of Canada. The I mentioned the Associate Professor at Dow. He also is the author of four books, three specifically on ADHD and one on suicide. So welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. <laughs> well, I'm really, uh, you know, we're really blessed to have you take the time to come in and talk to us. Um, and so we are going to talk about suicide today. Um, so just, you know, to be aware if it's a trigger for you to maybe tune out, this might not be the show for you. Um, but for everybody else, please stay tuned as we will be providing you with a wealth of information. So... What, where did your interest of suicide develop, Dr. Sudak? A long time ago, I, I, I am very passionate about this issue and uh, for, for many reasons. Uh, suicide really affects everyone mm-hmm. and every family would have a close loved one who might consider dying by suicide or died by suicide. Mm-hmm. This is a, a very difficult issue and important issue. In 2006, I started working in um, a committee called the Morbidity and Mortality, and that was uh, to review what happened in in patients who died by suicide and Mm. uh, i continued to do that work until 2012 and certainly that even added more dimension to to understanding the issues Mm. and we um, decided as the department then that we would like to do something about you know more work in suicide prevention and so we had a task force uh, and I was honored to be the chair of that task force at Mm. the capital district then and we started working a big group of very good psychiatrists and psychologists and uh, social workers and we all worked together to try to come up with something locally Mm -hmm. for uh, Halifax and you know uh, CDHA at the time yeah so we came up with a reasonable policy of how to work around these issues and th- that policy would be you know in place yeah and then we also started considering training and uh, from there things you know um started to take a more formal shape. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, approvals had been reached. <laughs> and, yes, yes. And in 2016, we started working provincially, and I um, was also the chair of that group, along with uh, Mary Paish in uh, acute care. And uh, we were very blessed to have this policy expanded with more stakeholders Mm. and we were able to have a tool and a policy across the province and then we had other issues that I can elaborate Mm -hmm. on at a different (laughs) point so that's how things you know escalated Mm. and then finally while I was doing this work I, I thought I'm reading lots of literature on suicide so I said 
I might as well write a book on it. So I yeah yeah I did, definitely. and it was very uh, well accepted, and I was lucky enough that a group of um, people in the UK who are interested in suicide they actually wanted also to adopt our tool, and mm -hmm. uh, we did approve it. So the national health system in the UK is it's beautiful. Also working on that. So. Mm. So, you know, you talked about all the different players on the team. So you really had a kind of holistic approach or view of the impact suicide was having on all the different, I guess, support systems or who was being impacted when you came up with your policies. Everybody, everybody's impacted. Yeah. This is no exceptions. Either. No, the ripple effect for sure. Yeah. And and so one of the things that, you know, obviously you um, talk how to differentiate between self-harm from suicide. What does what is the differentiation there? Well, that's an important question. I think that people who sometimes self-harm, they not necessarily have the intention of dying. Yeah. And so some people feel that they just want to cut or, you know, do any type of non-suicidal self-harm. Yep. And, and so if the intent is to die, then that's a suicide attempt or suicide, you know. Yeah. It's about the attitude rather than the act. And also the severity of the act. Mm. Yeah. Unfortunately, some people who self-harm mm -hmm. die because they cut and they cut an artery instead of a vein and they bleed and unfortunately they die. They yeah. didn't really plan to die. They didn't really want to die. But the self-harm resulted in death. Mm. And so when you talk about self-harm, Dr. Sadek, can you give our listeners an understanding of what self-harm may look like that potentially may not be suicidal behavior? Certainly. I mean, some people get some kind of learned behavior of cutting, for example. And unfortunately, a lot of high school students learn from others yeah. that type of behavior. And uh, at the time majority of them are really doing it for different reason other than suicide mm -hmm. other yeah. than dying yeah and uh, some people self-harm by just taking you know a couple of pills none of these behaviors are really helpful no yeah Some people hit their heads on the wall. There's all kinds of, of behaviors that are mm -hmm. harmful. So. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so what conditions um, increase the chance of individuals actually um, self-harming or going to that next level of taking their own life? So... It is really, really important to understand that us as human beings, we have what we call vulnerability factors. And one of the, one of the difficult issues that has a criteria embedded in it of self-harm is something called the borderline personality disorder. Mm. Do you want to know about that? I certainly do, yes. So, so borderline personality is something that uh, unfortunately can become very difficult. Mm -hmm. It's a pattern. It's not just a one incident. It's a pattern that starts from teenage years, continue into adulthood, and goes on and on and on. Mm. And it's important to understand that when we, we talk about a personality difficulty, that is not just a one incident. Yeah. 
Exactly. It's a it's a it's a lifelong pattern. Mm-hmm. And we have what we call a DSM, Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, and we go by that to try to understand the the symptoms. Yeah. It's really not ideal in many cases because there's like a cut-off number. If you have this number, mm. you have the disorder. If you don't, then you don't have the disorder. However, we we there is now a different system in that hopefully you're going to be in place to to help with that issue. Yeah. So it's more of a dimensional versus categorical kind of matter. It's a lot of gray area a there. A lot of gray areas. <laughs> However, the main symptoms still are important to understand. Mm-hmm. So the first issue is the mood swings. And the mood swings in, in borderline personality are very strong and significant. So one hour the person's happy, the next hour angry, the next hour sad. Mm-hmm. And within the same day, there is a, could be a significant fluctuation. Mm-hmm. We call it roller coaster kind of swings. Yes. And so those mood changes, it's different from bipolar disorder. When you stay depressed for two weeks or you stay, you know, up your, with a higher irritable mood yeah. for days. But here we are talking about hourly mood changes. Quick, rapid. Rapid, within yeah. the same day, kind of. Yeah. So that's criteria number one. Mm-hmm. The second one is issues around abandonment. And this abandonment could be real or imagined. So the person could feel that, the, 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 for example, a girl, her boyfriend is leaving despite he's not leaving. And then mm. she reacts very, very strongly to that type of fear of abandonment. Yeah. And it can be, as I said, it could be imagined abandonment, that no real evidence that there is abandonment. Yeah. So that's a second criteria, is those very strong reactions and anxiety and fear of abandonment. That may not be based on reality. Exactly. Mm, Yeah. Okay, we're going to take our first break, and when we come back, we're going to continue with Dr. Sadek, who's going to complete the uh, borderline personality kind of diagnosis, a review for us. You're listening to Mental Health. Let's talk about it, and we'll be back in a moment. Welcome back. I'm Charlene Pickram, Mental Health Let's Talk About Its Host. And let's continue talking with Dr. Sudek, who is outlining the nine factors of a borderline personality. So we've talked about the rapid mood, uh, up and down in a 24-hour period kind of thing. And we've talked about abandonment, either real or Imagine. Yeah. So, so what else are we looking for in regards to personality borderline? So we 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 did two out of nine. So we yeah. got seven to go. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> the next one is the self harm, and that's why we bring this up because mm. part of the criteria of borderline is self harm. Yeah. And uh, it could be you know very impulsive and and any type of, of self-harm. Yeah. So that's the, the very important. It could be, you know, even suicidal attempts, self-harm, self-mutilation, mm. any of that. Taking so that's out the your body, chewing your nails. Yeah. yeah. So that's number three. Yeah. The next one is unstable relationships. So some people have difficulty keeping relationships or keeping friends. So I ask, how, you know, how long have you been with that individual? And they tell me, well, six months. I can't keep relationship past six months, mm. past a year. So this difficulty, and 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 with that, there is always like a black and white thinking. So either this person is great or this person is terrible. Yeah. And there's no gray. No gray. No gray. Yeah. So that would be, you know, the next one, which does us call you for unstable relationship. <laughs> I'll tell you the mnemonic. (laughs) I got it here. (laughs) (laughs) All right. The next one is I for impulsivity. Yeah. And the impulsive behavior can be impulsive sex, impulsive drug use, impulsive Mm. spending, reckless driving, binge eating, 
any two of these kind of behaviors. Yeah. So that's an impulsivity. Mm-hmm. Okay. And um, the next one is chronic anger or difficulty controlling anger. And this chronic means like long standing, mm. long. It's 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 not just one incident. They're not forgivers. It's not about forgiveness. It's no? just about the reaction. It's about oh, okay. you know getting very quickly angry and and over sometimes very little you know issues. Mm. And you could ask about you know punching holes in the walls hitting things and mm. very strong degree of anger mm-hmm. or when you get angry you can't you can't control it yeah can't bring it down can't bring it down yeah okay so that's the anger mm. then the next one is really important which is identity difficulties identity disturbance mm. the identity problems could be a smaller issue but it could go to a much bigger identity issues Mm. And so you could always think of changing goals, changing careers, changing, you uh, know, yes. none of that. Or it could go to even bigger issues around identity mm. or who I am. Mm. Or it could move to their sexual identity or it could move to other things. Mm. So it's a wide range of, of identity difficulties. Okay, and that's what I was going to ask, is when you were talking about the identity, how ingrained could that be? Is it how we, you know, actually view ourselves as a being? Um, You know, like you said, sexually um, identifies male-female. You know, I want to do this for a job, and then I want to go to get this education, and it's always in flux. Or could potentially be always in flux. So the, it's 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 a difficulty in this disorder is that it's a huge range. Mm. It's a spectrum. Spectrum, yeah. And 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 sometimes there is a history of some kind of trauma in childhood. Yeah. And so these people are really none of it is their fault. This is stuff happened way earlier. Majority of it are are traumatic events in their life. Adverse childhood experiences. Adverse, exactly. And those, a lot of it. Yeah. Yeah, extreme levels. Not necessarily all of it. Not necessarily 100%, but but let's say that the majority of it have, you Mm -hmm. know, a background of traumatic experience. Mm -hmm. And depending on the severity of this trauma and the resilience of the individual, you could see a lot of the symptoms or, you know... Yeah. much less degree of this symptomatology. So we could see a huge range of the what I'm talking about, or you could see just very small, you know. But with the other things supporting it, correct? So the nine... So, yeah, so you need five out of the nine for the actual diagnosis. Okay, yeah. However, if you have three symptoms and they are prominent, this is something for psychotherapy, this is something for talk, yeah. you know, to, to, to change the pattern. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the whole idea about about working around this is and what I tell all my you know, my friends and my patients is that we just need to identify a pattern, mm. then yeah. block this pattern, yeah, and then learn a new pattern and mm. just keep fighting the old pattern. And that's it. Yeah. So, uh, As we say it, it sounds so easy, but we all know if we've had, you know, a habit that we're trying to change, we're looking at three to six months to at least change the brain plasticity to really start getting the new behaviors or strategies in place. I, I, I really don't want to put any kind of time frame on no, anything. No, no. But, yeah. but, but, but I also want people to be hopeful and optimistic that, mm. that, that working on this can make their life a whole lot easier. Yeah. And yeah. particularly that there is also embedded in it this self-harm and suicidal behavior. Mm. And so that's what we are hoping also to help. Yes. So, so understanding ourselves is a major factor here. 
Yeah, self-awareness. We, we, go, we go for years and we don't know why we are doing what we are doing. We don't know the mm -hmm. drive that's, that's pushing us to do what we are doing. Yeah. And so let us now try to understand what's happening. Mm -hmm. What are we, can we put a name to what we are doing? Yeah. Can we identify the actual problems and put it, you know, in 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 writing and say those this is problem number one, this is problem mm. number two. And, and then, then what then, are the strategies? And what is exactly, yeah, exactly yeah, what can yeah. I do around these strategies? Yeah. So so now we are at identity. Then we have only two more left. Yeah. The first one is the dissociative or what we call paranoid symptoms. So, so sometimes people feel like uh, people stare at me, people talk about me behind my back, people, you know, hate mm -hmm. me, things like that. And then uh, it, it, it could look like what we call psychosis, but it's not really psychosis. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a micro psychosis, very smaller kind of, yeah. of, of psychosis psychosis and that's and that's the difficulty is that sometimes these disorders don't stand alone or there's so much gray area that you think well this applies to this disorder and this applies but which one absolutely is... and, and and really this is a very difficult issue what you're talking about yes is that is that there is what we call comorbidity mm. things happen together Yes. And there's also difficulty of differentiating because we don't have a blood work to say, you know, this is X or Y. No. This is an issue where trying to collect as much information about and you also rely on... on Self-identifying exactly. and somebody and doesn't really have the self-awareness and who are supporting right. them and what are they saying and do they and, understand. And also some and people are not really you know, interested in identifying problems. Some no. people just, you know, not interested. Just going to live. Not interested in that. So, yeah. So, yeah. The, the last nine, symptom number nine is feeling of emptiness. Mm. So the person feels inside, despite having sometimes a good external environment, still feel empty inside, not fulfilled, yeah. not happy, not content. Always chasing something. Always chasing something. Mm. Yeah, so that's yeah. those are the nine symptoms of mm. borderline. Do you you got the mnemonic? I I got the mnemonic, <laughs> and I was just saying to Dr. Sadek that I'm going to use this because I'm going to be teaching psychology at the Nova Scotia Community College with the child and youth care practitioners, and I'm like I'm all over this. <laughs> Great. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the mnemonic is AM suicide, so A stands yeah. for the abandonment, M for the mood swings, S for self-harm, U for unstable relationships, I for impulsivity, C for chronic anger, other I for identity problems, D for dissociative or paranoid mm -hmm. symptoms, and finally E for emptiness, feeling empty. Mm. Yeah, you want to repeat those? No, that's great. <laughs> okay. The great thing about it is that it'll be on the podcast, and then if anybody wants it, they can rewind and 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 that's you know again right there. That's a tool, right? It's a very basic tool for our listeners to you know jot down if they have concerns. You know, maybe somebody maybe themselves are having issues with self harm, and they want to explore well. You know, it's a self-awareness piece, yeah. right? That you can, you can assess yourself and then potentially bring into your doctor, um, or whoever you have that's supporting you. But but at the same time, Charlene, we can't continue the pattern, and expect to get better. No. Yeah, yeah. You you know what I'm saying? I'm a hundred percent know what you're saying. Yes, at some point you need to say that. Yes, this is what it is. But what can we do to better an individual's life? Right. So I can't expect that I continue to do the impulsive things and continue to do the things that makes my psyche not feel well. Yeah. And expect that I am going to get better. Yeah, exactly. And I'm going to stop self-harming. Yeah, yeah. I'm okay. going to stop feeling empty. No. 
there are some work on my part I must do yeah. to start feeling better. The empowerment piece. So who do you go to that you can share your challenges and then have some strategies to practice to empower you to, again, change some of the previous I, behaviors? I, 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 I think the first piece is to go to yourself. Mm. I think that's your most important ally. Yeah. Is to actually reconcile with yourself and 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 sit down with yourself and have, you know, an internal commitment yeah. for for a change and for self awareness, self understanding, for insight, for mm. understanding. And then you 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 try to identify these issues and this pattern. Yeah. Get a book and start reading. Journal. Yeah, I mean, there are very nice books around the issue. And uh, the, the uh, NIMH, National Institute of Mental Health, has a very nice booklets on the issue. Mm -hmm. You can Google them at the National Institute of Mental Health. Yeah. There is all, all kinds, kinds of nice resources uh, in terms of, you know, this. So... So I, it's not about, you know, always finding a, an outside help before yes. we can actually work things. Start, in, start the ourselves. process. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So on that note, we're going to take a break. You're listening to Mental Health. Let's talk about it on CIOE 97.5 FM. And when we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Dr. Joseph Sadek. Thanks for staying tuned into Mental Health. Let's talk about it. I'm Charlene Pickram, and my guest is Dr. Sadek. And we've been discussing suicide and basically some of the um, awareness and understanding exactly what is the difference between self-harm from suicide, um, some of the conditions that increase an individual's chance of um, self-harm. And now we want to talk about what are some of the risk factors that individuals need to be aware of um, that could potentially lead to an individual um, dying by suicide. Okay. So... There are lots of risk factors, but certainly mental illness and in particular depression mm -hmm. and sometimes in other cases patients who are hearing voices telling them to kill themselves, schizophrenia or schizoaffective disorder yeah. with command hallucinations can be you know, a significant risk. Mm -hmm. There are issues around substance and alcohol and gambling. Yep. And so that also puts you at a much, much higher risk. Mm -hmm. The biggest problem is assessing the imminent risk. What's happening now? now. Yeah. And so people who have plans, mm. intent, supplies, and, and they, they rehearsed the issue and they want to die by suicide, those are at a very high risk. Mm -hmm. Then you, you add to it, you know, those type of illnesses, and while you are intoxicated, mm -hmm. yeah. then that's very serious. Yeah. Um, some, you know, severe anxiety can, can become an issue. Uh, certainly, all types of depression. Yeah. Particularly if the depression is very severe and then there's depression with psychotic f features where the person's depressed and then starts hearing voices and the voices tell him to kill himself. Mm -hmm. And uh, that can also be a huge risk. Yeah. 
And as I mentioned, any type of psychotic illness with with command hallucinations can be a huge risk. Yes. And alcohol and substance use disorders are, uh, and the gambling disorder, any major losses and mm. acute conflicts and acute stressors and losses yeah. can become, you know, a problem. In um, in some cases, some serious medical conditions mm-hmm. has linked to it a, an increased risk. Having previous attempts mm-hmm. is also an important issue because, and and having more severe and serious repetitive attempts can be, you know, an issue. Family members and community. Family, absolutely. So, a, a genetic risk from, you know, mm-hmm. particularly a first degree relative. We, and now you have the risk, and then you get a stressor. Yeah. Then that becomes a problem. There is, there is many factors, and that's why we developed a what we call a tool. Mm. And within that tool, we have listed the different, like, what we call interview risk profile, and then the the other factors. And then we also put resiliency or protective factors. I loved that. How, yeah, but but I have to say, though, that sometimes all of these resilience or protective factors doesn't stop the person from doing what they want to do. Mm-mm. And so it has to be taken, you know, with caution. Yes. Yeah. That, you know, they have pets at home, they have kids, and they... But but during these difficult times, they forget about all that. Mm. And so that's... Self. Our, yeah. So those are, are important to consider. However, let's look at the imminent risk first. Mm. Yeah. Exactly. And, and so, you know, you talked about the tool and, you know, for those individuals that are interested, they can research you, the tools visually there, the policies and procedures, everything that, you know, you went through um, to get the tool accepted and actually in place um, where individuals who are at risk can be assessed. So this is tool for clinicians. Yeah. This is tool for the for for clinicians working in mental health. Mm, okay. So it's not a public tool. However, if a person wants to read it, I think I think it's it's available. Mm-hmm. Certainly, there need to be more education around it. So so really, it's 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 nice to understand to yes. develop more understanding. But you really can't. Yeah, you're not going to use the tool to assess to become, somebody. Yeah, yeah no, so, so no. There is, so there is, you know, the, the difficulty here is that the clinical judgment mm. is a very important piece here. It's a very important piece, and liability. The clini- <laughs> and the clinical judgment means that you, you really should have some experience yeah. to be able to make a proper judgment on, on this assessment. Yeah. And we'll talk about that, the training that goes along with the tool Yes. Um, so we will talk about that for sure. Yeah. So, you know, like you talked about, the risk factors, it, the spectrum is never-ending because it very much depends on so many other different factors for that individual, that family, that community. All of those things impact um, an individual's risk factor. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, the, the, there are a number of risk factors, and also depending on the age group, the risk factors could change. Yeah. So for 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 a young person who they keep moving him from foster home to a foster home to a foster home, and having no significant attachment, that can be a risk. Yeah. You know, for a senior, when they have a one caregiver and that caregiver is not around. Or during times of you know uh, holidays or transitions or you know uh, major you know New Year and he's alone and you know things can become 
very difficult. Bleak. So depending mm. on the age group also, this is important. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, all these risk factors are there. You've um, identified that there, you know, is a concern. So how do you actually manage that? You have that awareness now that that person is potentially at risk of, you know, dying by suicide. What strategies can you put in place to support them? So depending on the, the level of the risk mm -hmm. and the clinical judgment of the assessor, so, so we have different options. Mm -hmm. So a person who is at a very high risk might need an admission to hospital. Mm -hmm. And this admission might not be a long-term admission. It could be just for three, four days, two, three days for short, what we call short-stay admission. Yeah. In some cases, if it's a mental disorder that is you know, needs further treatment, like, for example, ECT treatment, which mm -hmm. is amazing treatment for it depression. My uh, mother my mother was on the ECT team for years. Yeah. It's an excellent treatment, and mm -hmm. I highly recommend it for, for patients with severe depression, depression mm -hmm. not responding to medication. Mm-hmm. Um, so they might need, you know, longer treatment, longer stay. Yeah. Crisis, if somebody is in crisis, just an acute crisis, someone, you know, at a loss or conflict, or, and the, this is just a 48-hour kind of admission, and then they, their mindset changes, and they are back yeah. to where they were before, and they manage their life okay. Yeah, yeah. So that's, that's you know, so sometimes admission to hospital can can be important. Mm -hmm. Sometimes having a person staying with the family and the family is keeping an eye on them, we don't want to load the family with things that they can't really manage, but if they can manage, yes, then possibly and come back within, you know, a day or two to be checked again. If mm -hmm. things are starting to improve, then they can be checked again. If not, then at that time they can be admitted. Yeah. if they need, you know, More the assistance. support. Yeah. And, um, and it's nice to have the, the kind of a, a plan in place. So say, if this happens, mm -hmm. we do this. Yeah. If things get worse, mm -hmm. are going to call this number. Mobile crisis unit, perhaps. Or, absolutely. 911. Yeah. 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 Uh, uh, if the person has a follow-up team, like in the outpatient, then this is the number to call. Mm. If this is, uh, you know, they don't have anyone, then that is a mobile crisis. And so having some kind of a plan, if this happens, we do this. Yeah. In writing, and would have different copies with different... Signatures. Me <laughs> members of the family, so, yeah. you know and with the agreement of, of, of the person. So I think that would be helpful. Mm -hmm. I find that the plan helps out because it really decreases individuals' anxiety, particularly when a crisis situation comes up. Yes. You can just go right to the plan and it's step by step by step. Yes, um, yes. It's I, I, great. I, I have to say that sometimes if the person really is hiding their intent, and really wanting to die, all of this can go in vain. Yeah. And the person still, you know, a hundred percent pursue what they are doing. Yeah, a hundred percent. All right, we're going to take our final break. When we come back, we will wrap up our conversation on suicide with Dr. Sadek. We'll be back in a moment. In the final segment of Mental Health, let's talk about it on CIOE 97.5 FM. I want to wrap up by focusing on positives. So how can we as individuals enhance our awareness of mental health, make positive choices to live well, and advocate for self and other when support is required? 
And so I've been talking with Dr. Sudak about suicide and because uh, you are also an expert in ADHD, how about you give our listeners a overview of exactly what ADHD is? Sure. I mean, I mean, it's, it's, it's important in a way to understand that because ADHD is also a risk factor for suicide. Mm-hmm. And so ADHD can have three subtypes. One is called inattentive type. One is called hyperactive impulsive type. Mm -hmm. And the one is called combined type when you have both. You have the inattention and you have the hyperactivity impulsivity. So the symptoms of hyperactivity impulsivity usually decreases with age so you can see a lot of kids who are hyperactive and impulsive (laughs) but as adults they are you know less hyperactive yeah but how unfortunately the inattention the difficulty with focusing Mm -hmm. continues on over the years it does and so the the symptoms of, of of inattentions are nine symptoms as well okay the the first one is difficulty paying attention to details mm-hmm. so for example you know if you are answering questions sometimes you miss part of reading part of the question or part of the answer mm-hmm. so yep. the difficulty with details then the next problem is being easily distracted so a person can be distracted by their internal thoughts or they could be distracted by noise, by movement, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden they, they just can't focus by very little stimuli. Yeah. And people with ADHD in attentive subtype, they, they have difficulty with tasks that require attention. So to sit down and complete a report for an adult becomes a very major task. So you find, you know, on the desk, tons of reports that's not complete. Yep. Procrastination. Kids, the most common problem is the homework. Mm -hmm. And sometimes mom has to check if there's a hound (laughs) (laughs) exactly god love you mothers thank you and fathers i can't discriminate (laughs) so the 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 uh, task avoidance is is the third issue and and listening to tasks so a person doesn't listen when spoken to directly so their mind is somewhere else you keep talking to them in their minds somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Losing things become very problematic. That's the next symptom, which in adults, very simply, you could ask about, you know, bank cards, wallets, keys. keys. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. And, and the kids, all you have to do is to ask mom and dad about the the times you have to go back to school to get stuff from the lost and found. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's a major task because it happens sometimes on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the sustaining attention is also very problematic. So the person can't continue to read a book. They, they mm. after fa- 10 minutes, they they are not interested anymore, they go somewhere else, they are <laughs> lost. Yeah. So sustaining attention is very problematic. Yeah. And then the next symptom is organizational problems. So so disorganized messy desk, messy room, messy office, messy car. Mm-hmm. I ask people sometimes I can <laughs> if I could look at the car that's parked <laughs> outside my office and <laughs> Yeah. You can see it from the window. <laughs> a, I know where everything is. I'm organized. Yeah. What do you talk about? It's all in there. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a, it's a, you know, it's a very common issue, and uh, and the, the 
last two symptoms is forgetfulness. Mm-hmm. So you forget appointments, you forget tasks, you forget to do things. And the last one is starting stuff and not finishing it. Yeah. So a kid sit down, starts, mom asks him to start the homework, he sits down to start the homework. Mm-hmm. Two minutes later, something happens, he gets distracted. It's never finished. No. Six starts drawing one thing, there's, there's another piece of paper and another piece of paper. And exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So, and, and, and adults, I, I really, people who have ADHD, they, you could ask for at least two or three projects. Hmm. They tell me they started painting a room, the room is still half done, you know. And so there is a lot of starting but not finishing. Yeah, yeah. They need to find a partner who likes to finish things. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> That's Possibly. one of the strategies, Dr. Yeah. Sadak. <laughs> Good strategy. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so for, for kids, we like to see six out of those nine symptoms. Mm-hmm. For adults, we like to see five oh, okay. of those nine symptoms. But you see... We, we, you know, people tell me that, you know, we all have some of these. Oh, yeah, the spectrum. It's the spectrum. But it's, it's, but the problem here is the impairment in function. Yeah. That actually the person is not functioning well. Yeah. So you, you really have to have evidence that the person is not doing well. They are failing. They are not, you know, mm-hmm. they are having... They're losing Problems jobs, at work. Exactly. they can't exactly. get the grades, they can't exactly. get things in on time. The university students and the difficulties they have, I, you know, tremendous amounts of difficulties. Yes, but there is support out there now, unlike there used to be for a lot of... Absolutely. And, and you know, again, it's that education piece. Yeah, um, we don't want to abuse it too. No, and so, 100%. So we don't want, you know... Because there's support that people who are actually well to say, well, no, I am sick and I do have ADHD. And, yeah. Or, unfortunately, people who want to, like, use it as a, as a drug or as an enhancer mm. and then they fake their symptoms and they fake their... Yeah. So this is really things that we... Need we to take need into, to account. Take into account. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, some, some people out there are not very, you know ethical unfortunately yeah yeah and and we talk about that quite a bit in mental health and mental illness that you know unfortunately the resources are out there but because there's so many people using the resources in a not inappropriately inappropriately, that um, people who really need need it it are being left out in the cold and and that is, you know, really upsetting. But again, that's the awareness piece, the self-awareness piece, you know, awareness of what's out there. But what can you do for yourself mm-hmm. before you go elsewhere? What commitment do you want to take with yourself? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, do, do you make that commitment with other people who are within your community or your family? Yes. And you support one another. Your loved ones. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, that's more the universal care. You know, what can we do within our, our own family units and our community units to help each other live well um, without taxing the system? Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. And so with the ADHD, you did mention, you know, medication. Does medication impact an individual's risk of suicide? So there has been a Health Canada warning about the medication and and suicide. The the really when they analyzed the data, mm-hmm. they found that there is increase in suicidal thoughts, but there has never been an actual suicide mm. attempt mm-hmm. or a completed suicide based on this medication. Okay. However, the, the warning was based on increased thoughts. But we know that ADHD could come with things like bipolar disorder where you can become depressed. So then mm-hmm. 
Now, with the hyperactive type, impulsive type, there's increase in impulsivity. Okay. And so you do things quickly, mm-hmm, and so that thought. would increase your risk. Yeah. Significantly. 100%. So now we have, you know, increased risk because of that. Mm-hmm. Now, the medication is, is a different factor, but having ADHD itself increases your risk. Mm-hmm. Having some of the medication may increase the suicidal thoughts. Yeah. And so that's where the Health Canada warning came from. It's trial and error and and being in contact and doing your follow-ups with your physician and all of that stuff. And being honest about yourself. And being honest. Oh, come on now. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes it's the hardest thing because we don't understand ourselves, right? Yeah. True. True. Very true. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, uh, we were going to talk about just basically that, you know, the Nova Scotia um, Health is, has brought in the policy, the tool. You guys do very specific training around the tool. Um, Yes. Yes, we do. We, We have... So every new employee mm-hmm. gets a training. And not only that, people even who are not directly assessing suicide, mm-hmm. they still get a training on how to deal with ah. a, say a rec therapist takes a patient on an outing and the patient says, I want to die. Yes. So they are also trained on what to do at that point. Mm-hmm. So this is not just a one kind of, so we have a, a intense training for the assessment and management. We also have training for staff who are not licensed to do that. Yeah. But they still are a part of the part process. Of process. Yes, yeah. yeah. And what's so fantastic about that is that although they may not be like that frontline person, is that that training is a ripple effect for them and their families and community. Yes, yes, absolutely. Mm. And also, you feel more confident when, at your job and you feel yes. more satisfied at what you do. Yeah, I agree. Education does do that, 110%. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. All right, well, I want to thank you for taking time out of your very busy schedule to come in. My pleasure. And um, we may have you back at some point to talk further Anytime. about ADHD. Anytime. <laughs> <laughs> and Anytime. we have that on air, everybody. <laughs> Look out. All right. Uh, so on behalf of myself and my producer, Georgina Fitzpatrick, be empowered.